When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey nerds, welcome to episode 376 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam and uh, wow, do we have a a fun interview for you guys today. Uh, Today's episode is an interview I did back at ALA in Washington, D.C. with Alice Hoffman. Uh, She of the Practical Magic fame, (laughs) Rules of Magic, uh, and about 30 other books that are all glorious. You should check them out. Uh, She has a new book coming out which is called the world that we knew and it's uh, a world war ii book but it's uh it's a fairy tale version of a world war ii story it's all about these interpersonal uh, relationships and the conversation we we discuss uh a whole lot about that so i'll i'll let the conversation speak for itself but i just i have to say while listening to her talk it is impossible not to feel inspired like sitting with Alice Hoffman and hearing her talk about uh, magic and the way that magic works and fairy tales and how they help us understand emotion and psychology in ways that we might not realize and it just it's very very inspiring Um, she talked about how she had teachers that didn't tell her to write what she knew but rather to write what she could imagine which is how she's able to conjure up if you will all of these uh, wonderful worlds and settings and characters Uh, the origin of this particular book was very interesting and and we talk about that at the beginning of the conversation so um, yeah it was just uh, surreal to be able to sit down with Alice and uh, her you know practical magic and rules of magic especially were two books that I have loved um, both when I was a little bit younger and then you know Rules of Magic came out, I believe, last year, two years ago. Years, the years fly by now. It's tough to remember, but um, they're just they're so good. And she's writing a third one, and um, yeah, the conversation was was glorious. And I think you guys will very much enjoy it. Uh, the book comes out Tuesday, so if you are listening to this on Monday, uh, the day before, you can you can still pre-order it or, or place it on hold. So that's. Uh, September 17th, the day that the book comes out. If you're listening to this, the day that the podcast comes out. Uh, so go place it on hold right now, do a pre-order, whatever you're going to do. Um, or if you're listening to it after Monday, just uh, go get the book. Uh, this is going to be my last reminder for you guys as well. Uh, Wednesday, September 18th is Read an Ebook Day. So if you are a fan of ebooks, which I'm guessing you just might be since you're listening to this podcast presented by Overdrive, uh, be sure to join in on the fun on September 18th. And the way you can do that is simply use the hashtag ebooklove, all one word, E-B-O-O-K-L-O-V-E, on social media, anywhere that you are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, wherever you're at, and use that hashtag. Tell us why you love ebooks. Let us know what you're reading. Uh, Take some pictures. I always love getting pictures of cats and dogs. Um, So whatever you want to do. If you're an author, feel free to use it to promote your your own books. Um, It's a nice little community we build every september 18th so if you need any book recommendations on that day you can always 
uh, use that hashtag, let us know what you're interested in, and we'll, our staff librarians here will give you some real-time recommendations, which is pretty cool. Um, you can also, all, by just, partic- just by participating, you can win a e-reading device or some Libby swag. We have some t-shirts and some pop sockets and some tote bags, all sorts of fun stuff. So uh, again, that's Wednesday, September 18th. Just use that hashtag ebooklove and join in on the fun. Pretty straightforward stuff. Um, I think that's about it for this one. I have another big episode for you coming out on Thursday, which I think you guys are really going to love. I got to talk to one of my childhood heroes, so that was very cool. I'm excited for you guys to hear that as well. But for now, first things first, I'm going to let you get to the absolutely delightful and charming Alice Hoffman on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everybody, it's Adam and I am hanging out at the last day of the American Library Association and I am so thrilled because I am sitting with, simply put, one of the greatest authors of our time. I'm sitting with Alice Hoffman who is the author of more than 30 works of art including Practical Magic, Here on Earth, Museum of Extraordinary Things. Her books have won countless awards, have been loved by, and celebrated around the world, have constantly made me cry by the way, and her latest novel is titled The World That We Knew and it comes out this September. So first, Alice, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, it's so nice to talk to you. So I always love having our conversations begin by letting the author kind of introduce our listeners to their most recent title. So do you want to give our listeners an introduction to The World That We Knew? Yeah. The World That We Knew was unexpected. I didn't expect to write this book. Mm-hmm. I had met a woman years and years ago who told me her story, yeah. or part of her story, and um, she had been a hidden child in France during the war. I didn't know anything about this. And I told her, you know, I don't write people's stories. I'm not interested. You know, it's not my story. Mm-hmm. But, the, uh, you know, it just stayed with me for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And um, I started to become more and more interested. And I really wanted to meet the Holocaust survivors yeah. because I felt yeah, I mean, like I needed someone to explain to me why we should be alive. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I, I really, and I felt like if anyone could do that, it would be Holocaust survivors. So I really started off by meeting um, survi- ch- people who had been child survivors mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, and then I went to France yeah. and traveled all over and met more, and um, the book kind of evolved, and I realized when I was writing about World War II that I really had to write about it as if it was a fairy tale. Yeah. Because it made no sense. Right. It, I, well, first off, that experience of meeting Holocaust survivors had to be a harrowing, emotional, I, every word. Like, what was that like for you just trying to learn their stories? For me, it was incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. Because despite everything they'd lost, and almost all of them had lost their parents mm-hmm. and had been sent from Germany or other places while their parents were sent to the camps or where their parents were working in, you know, um, they were working in the resistance Mm -hmm. and most of them never saw their parents again. Their joy for life was so inspiring. What they had been through was so inspiring. I just felt so lucky to have met them. Mm -hmm. I I think what you've done by turning into a fairy tale is... A really unique idea and I'm surprised more people who write about World War II don't do this because it is such a impossible thing to try and wrap your head around and I think 
impossible things are best told with a little bit of magic. Right? Uh, you know, I, it's funny because I met this one survivor and he said he had been on a train with his whole family. And they started off toward the camp and then it stopped and it turned back and they ran away and he became a doctor and the head of a medical school. And he asked his aunt who was on the train, you know, why do you think that happened? Mm -hmm. And she said, you can't ask me what happens in a crazy situation yeah. where nothing makes sense. And well, and see that to me, it's it's so it's almost too much to think about when all of the small things that had to happen for like I like to joke with authors like all the million little things that had to happen for you and I just to be sitting here talking. It's the same thing when it comes to people who come from a, my father's side of our family is Jewish and they're from they've been in Canada for generations. So fortunately, none of our family was involved in the Holocaust. But just like that little thing of like someone generations ago decided to move to North America and because of that You're our, whole line, our whole line of family exists I know you know it's funny because there was a historian who was very helpful to me um, from Harvard and in um, she said a lot of history is luck it's exactly what you're saying absolutely and there's it's just and I think as humans we always want to believe because of maybe hubris or whatever it is but we always want to believe that like there's a massive purpose for everything we're doing right and it's hard for us to think about like there's a flip of the coin that I just couldn't be here yeah you turn left and one thing mm -hmm. happens you turn right and yeah. another thing happens I my and a, a much lighter version of this is I am the youngest of four children and my three siblings are all two years apart and I am four years apart and for a long long time they were just like oh no we wanted a fourth one it was, it was so fun I eventually learned to find out my father was going to have a vasectomy and he tore a muscle in his wrist playing softball <laughs> and could only afford one surgery and so I exist because of a bad softball field in northeast that's, Ohio that's awesome it's awesome but it's also like wow everyone I never can get too big of a head because it's just like, I know <laughs> you know you try to figure life out but really it mm -hmm. is some of it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But I think fairy tales kind of order the world in a way, and they help you to understand mm -hmm. um, kind of the emotional world and the psychology. I think they're very psychological. Why do you think fairy tales have endured so long for generations and generations, not even just as we're children, but adults? Like, I, anytime I see a book that's a fairy tale, I get excited. Like, why do you think we still are... You know, resonate so much with because I, I really do think they're the oldest stories they're the original stories told by grandmothers to grandchildren <laughs> and that they have these deep deep psychological truths that just hold true today yeah. I, I'm curious about you know there was you talk about and I, I saw in a, in a letter that you wrote to readers about like the chance it, the chance happenstance that created that made this book come out of nowhere yeah and you have never written about World War II prior to this, correct? Yeah. So, did it feel, because it was someone else's story to tell, do you feel like it was easier to write or more difficult for you as someone who has so much experience with writing novels? Well, you know, I never was interested in my own life or my own stories. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to escape yeah. my life and go into the world of fiction. Mm -hmm. I felt that way as a reader, I feel that way as a writer. Yeah. So I never really used my real life. Mm -hmm. But I had this great teacher, writing teacher at Stanford who was my mentor. And most teachers, writing teachers say, write what you know. Right. He didn't say that. He said, write what you can imagine. 
And that gave me such freedom from the very beginning to do whatever I wanted. I love that's so that's so it's so true. good, right? It's so, so true. Good. Um, so do you do you think that there's any of yourself though in your stories, or do you, are you able to at this point kind of remove yourself entirely from the, the characters you create? You know what I feel like? I feel like with one of my novels, it's like a dream, mm. and they say in a dream you're every character, including the cat and the dog. Yeah. So I feel like you know if I threw myself down and I broke into like thousands of pieces, mm-hmm. each one of my characters would be a tiny piece of me. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Speaking of characters, I feel like a lot of what you write focuses so heavily on relationships between characters and showing the power of love and how important these connections are. And what I love about them is you create these fantastical settings and these worlds that you build out, but it's really the characters that are driving your story. Do you prefer character-driven things as opposed to kind of plot-driven ideas? I think so, because, you know, they say that there's only, like, seven plots or something, you know, like a stranger comes to town, a stranger leaves town, you know, whatever they are. So plots really aren't that interesting to me. It's more like if what you were saying, you know, what the char- how the characters respond and react. Mm-hmm. And I think characters are such a more connective way to tell World War II fiction. Yeah. Because... It's so big. It's so it's big. It's so huge. Yeah. I realized that when I started writing, I, I felt like I had to make it as small as possible just to get these particular people. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy, that, again, as someone who has Jewish heritage and culture in my background, I'm so happy that there are World War II stories that are continuing to be told because I, I think it's essential for that. That can never get lost, especially with things going on in our country right now. Like, it's already, like, it's kind of going away. Well, that's what I felt like. When, while I was writing it, things were happening in our country. That so reminded me of what had happened, mm-hmm. that it was really terrifying. And the whole idea of separating parents and children, and when that started to happen here, it was when I was writing the book, I was really in shock. I felt like, I, you know, history does repeat itself if we don't pay attention. Do you, when you're writing things like that, especially things that are so on, on the nose with what's going on, like, are you able to, like, do you have to step away from time to time from the writing? Like, I, I just imagine, I'm imagining you in, like, a lovely library writing on, like, a notebook and just having tears falling on the pages. <laughs> like, are you able to, are you able to disconnect your, your own emotions from the book? Because, you put so so many powerful emotions in your stories. Like I said, you made me cry several times with your books. But I'm just curious: Are you able to write those types of things without? Well, I I do cry. Yeah. I mean, I do cry, uh-huh. and I feel like if I can make myself cry, it's working. You know, mm-hmm. because I kind of know what's going on. Um, so, but I, I feel like when I write, I, it, it's my escape from the world. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, I know a, a character that you, you have in here, and you. You add a, a golem, which yes. I think is wonderful. Thank you. Yes. And it, it's such a um, malleable thing to be able to use in stories. Like, it gives you the freedom of, is it good, is it bad, where did it come from? Right. I, was that something you always knew that you wanted to put into the story? Well, you know, it's kind of, the, it's a traditional Jewish folklore Very figure, like so. the biggest folklore figure. Yeah. So, you know, I've always known about it. Mm-hmm. But the idea about what makes you human mm-hmm. was interesting to me. So I think that's where it came from. And how could you protect your child? Yeah. You know, in a time of such danger, when most of these children went off by themselves, yeah. you know, 
Um, so that was a big part of it. But I also feel like, you know, it was the whole exploration of like, what, what, what's a beast, what's human? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the fairy tale motif again, you yeah. know, that humans were acting like beasts. Mm-hmm. And here is this creature, this supernatural creature, mm-hmm. who is acting more human yeah. than many humans. And also the idea of, you know, one of the, I think one of like almost like a trope in fairy tales is like finding a way to protect children. And we're always in imminent danger in fairy tales. Right, like Hansel right. and Gretel and Red Riding Hood. Right. They're always in imminent danger. And there's all, and I imagine as someone who would read this like as a parent, because there's such a powerful you know, mother-daughter relationship in here. Yeah. I imagine people will look at the goblin and be like, okay, that's like a way to protect my child, perhaps when I can't. Like it's just such a, it's almost like giving them a, you know, a suit of armor. Yeah, sort of exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think people will do whatever they can to to protect their children. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, I, as this was happening at our border, mm-hmm. you know, toward the end of my writing the book, really, um, I just felt like there was such a um, similarity between what was happening. Mm-hmm. Because in France, you know, Jews who were over the age of 16 were sent to the extermination camps. Right. And here were all these children. And no one knows what happened to many of them. And I just felt like it, here it is happening again. Yeah, it's... Unfortunately, it just repeats itself and it feels like really? it is right now. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. We're going to do a little bit of shifting from sadness to happiness. Yes. What brings... What part of writing kind of brings you the most joy? Like, is it that discovering your story and writing draft zero? Or is it... Are you one of those people who, for some reason, likes editing, which I've never... Those people I don't know who those people are. Okay, exactly. So what about it? What part do you enjoy most? Uh, well, I think it's it's so many different things. But for one thing, is usually I have, I have a question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really writing the book for myself. And I think for me, this book, and maybe all of my books are about how do you find love and how do you survive? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, how do you find something positive even in the darkest times? And I think that's what I'm always writing about. And as I'm writing, I feel like I'm much smarter as a writer than I am as a person. You know, so I can answer these questions for myself. Uh-huh. I was speaking of finding love and happiness and, and surviving. I can't not ask you about Rose of Magic. Oh yeah, that was so much fun to write. Okay, so what made you finally want to write a prequel? Just to start, because it has it's almost been, twenty years. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So I'm curious, what made you want to write a prequel? Now I'm glad that you did because it's Thank incredible. You. But I'm curious, what what was made you realize like, okay, it's time to do this? Well, I, you know, readers have been writing to me for a long time saying we think we should see more of these characters. I bet. And that was part of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what happened. Part of it was just it just felt like it was the right mm-hmm. time. And instead of doing a sequel and going mm-hmm. forward in time, I wanted to go backward in time yeah. and see, you know, what had created certain characters, mm-hmm. what was the history of certain characters in Practical Magic, yeah. and especially the two kind of elderly aunts, uh-huh. aunts, aunts, uh-huh. or whatever you say it. Either way. Um, I wanted to know what their history was. I And I think because you made a prequel, it's something that is, uh, people can connect to it whether they've, you know, read Practical Magic or not. Yeah, said 20, I think so. You said, you know, 20 years ago. People may be discovering your, your books over the last decade and not have connected to you because I was thinking about that. I was talking to a coworker about it because before sitting down chatting, I was I re-listened to Rules of Magic because I had like a perfect excuse to do it. I was like, oh, yeah. talk to Alice. I want to do this again. <laughs> and I was thinking about it. I was like, there's like little nooks and crannies that you can say like, oh, it's like almost like fun Easter eggs. But you could also 
entirely relate to these characters without. And I think that prequel lends that. I think so too. And also it takes place in the 60s mm-hmm. in New York City in Greenwich Village, my favorite time, my favorite place. Yeah. I, even though this isn't my life, I, I was there. Mm-hmm. And it was really nice to kind of revisit it and go back and, and learn more about Greenwich Village and go to all those places that are in the book mm-hmm. and kind of what it would have been like to have grown up mm-hmm. you know, in New York City at that time. Uh, what I, what, how did you go about kind of, you know, speaking of the name of it, like, how did you go about creating, like, the rules for your, you know, magical system when you were writing Practical Magic, if you remember from 20 years ago? Or <laughs> I'm aware that's a while back asking from all the research you've done between now and then, but, like, how did you determine, like, okay, the witchcraft rules. and wizardry and all these things have existed for millennia? How, did, I, how can I make it? Well, I've out? always loved witches, I have yeah. to say. And mm-hmm. I think a lot, especially for little girls, it's such an iconic figure. Oh, yeah. Like, such a power figure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I you know I loved anything bewitched or anything, you know, any books. My first books were about witches. And um, so I was always interested in witches. And it just kind of, like, happened. Like, I thought, practical, you know, practical magic. Oh, and I also loved these books by Edward Eager when I was growing up, mm-hmm. which were kind of like suburban magic books. Yeah. So I thought, you know, you take magic, you put it in, you know, a very regular, practical mm-hmm. place yeah. and see what happens. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, I love, it, it almost makes, I imagine it would make young, younger readers like feel like, oh, these are actual things that I can make happen in my life. Like, because yeah. they do, it literally, it's very on the nose, it's practical magic. Like, it's like, Great. oh, it's very I, real. Yeah, if I find these specific herbs and this specific, if I brew this specific type of tea, I'm going to be able to create. Right, although I have to say, two readers tried to do things due to oh, really? practical magic, and it didn't work out, and one of them was arrested. So, seriously? Yeah. Oh so, God. you know, it, it, you know, I think they have to find their actual magic elsewhere, you okay, know, but, yeah. and I'm really having fun because I'm, I'm working on the third, um, the third book of magic book so that's been really fun and I'm going all the way back in time am I allowed to keep that in this yes episode? of course okay. uh, do you know when that's going to be coming out I don't know when it's coming out because I'm work- I'm writing it now and you know you just never know how long something's yeah, going to take absolutely um it feels like especially with practical magic and rules of magic you enjoy it, it seems like these kind of sweeping stories of like telling a full life of a character yeah um, and I always love that too because I feel like I can connect with them and kind of live in their world for a long period, period of time. I think of like um, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. I'm not sure if you had a chance to read that, but she does something similar. And Ken Follett, who wrote all like the Pillars of the Earth books, does the same yeah. thing. Um, what is it that you enjoy most about being able to explore sort of like a full arc of someone's life? Well, I think it's really satisfying to know kind of their history. Like, you know, when you... When, let's, for instance, like we can never know our parents the mm-hmm. way they really were because we don't know the prequel. Right. You know, we just know how they were with us. They, we don't know how they were when they were young. Mm-hmm. So writing a novel like this kind of allows you to go back and know characters in like such a deeper, you know, way than you can with most people. Are those the types of books you like to read, or is or do you kind of like stay? far away from the types of things you write. I do stay far away from the things that I write and you know I, I, I just have, it's just a very mixed bag of you know who I like to read. Yeah absolutely. Um, I'm curious as well you have written about AIDS crises and now these hidden Jewish people and the Spanish Inquisition and yeah. you've created you know, sexually diverse characters and people with different backgrounds and I, with such a very you know of the of writing style, 
you, you know, to kind of define genres, which I'm sure is a wonderful thing to think about as an author, you know, and can kind of put you in a box, but where do you go looking for stories if they don't come to you in a person meeting you off the, you know, in a random moment? Well, I don't feel like I have to look for them. I feel like mm. I will never have enough time to tell all the stories. Okay. I've, that's how I feel right now, and that's how I've always felt. Mm -hmm. It's like there are just so many great stories to tell. It's like there's not enough time. Mm -hmm. So do you have like a like a notebook? Can you oh write? yeah, uh -huh. except it's a computer. <laughs> yeah. No, the reason the reason I ask is um, I got to I talked to James Patterson a long time ago. And he told me he literally has like a file folder, and he just opens up this like cabinet, and it's just this series yeah. of folders of like three paragraphs of yeah. Stories. I have the same thing, and some will become books, and uh -huh. some never will. Yeah. Some there'll be some little idea or a title or yeah. something, but yeah, that's super interesting. It's fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so towards the end of our conversations, we do what we call the Nerd Nine, just nine lighthearted questions. I enjoy okay. alliteration, which is where these came from. All right. Uh, so the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Oh, gosh. The last book I finished reading? It's so funny. Reading? People either know it right away or they can't I think of it. I don't know it. Okay, how about something you're reading right now? I don't know it. Oh, right now I'm reading a, but I don't know the title. Oh, I'm reading a book called The Dark Dark mm -hmm. by Samantha Hunt. It's a, it's a book of short stories. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm reading now. And what did I finish? Oh, Nina George, The Book of Dreams. I just read that. Do you have a favorite place to read? Just anywhere. Just, okay. just anywhere I need to escape into another place. Do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading as a child? Well, I mean, I love these Edward Eager yeah. books, the series of magic books. But the book that really affected me, I think, the most, I, I don't know. I mean, well, there were a few, but one was Catcher in the Rye. Just mm -hmm. a, but the other one was Ray Bradbury. I'm a huge Ray Bradbury fan. Sure. And I, I, I just felt like reading him completely, mm -hmm. you know, changed me. Yeah. Uh, what's one place you would like to travel that you have not yet been to? Um, there's so many, but I want to go to Greece. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? I don't like holidays. I don't believe in holidays. Okay. There are no holidays. Sure. Um, <laughs> coffee or tea? Tea. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Okay. I'm a, so the reason I ask, I have a co-host who's not here today. I'm a dog person. She's a cat person. So uh, this is our eternal struggle. So yeah. you answered it correctly. So good job. Okay. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite food? Pizza. Yeah. And then if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, God, it's really hard because I have one alive and one dead. Let's do both. So I would have to do um, Emily Bronte and, and um, Toni Morrison. That would be... So I've told some, a few other people, Toni Morrison was born where I grew up in Lorraine, Lorraine Ohio. Ohio. How did you know that? Because I know everything about her because That's I'm a total fan. I'm, I'm a, I think she's the greatest living writer and she's just a, a miracle. That, yeah, she, she didn't live there long. You know, I also knew, well, whatever. Yeah, she didn't live there long. I, I mean, I know her original name. I know everything. Yeah, it's so funny. I though. love like, her She work. didn't live there long, but like we are a city like everywhere. So That's home awesome. Home of Toni Morrison. Oh, yeah. Um, last, she's yeah. So, so amazing. She's so great. Um, okay, last question for you. What do you hope readers kind of take away from reading your books? You know what I want? I want them to feel something. That's what I always felt like yeah. for myself as a reader. I want to feel something. That's perfect. Alice, this was so much fun. Thank you for so joining nice me. It's nice to talk to you. Thank you.
Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, the Paperfold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.